0: Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to the Buddy Ruski Show. This is episode six. This is the first one of the new year, and I'm really excited to have my first guest of 2019 on the show, Katie DeCanto. Katie, thanks for being on the Buddy Ruski Show.
1: Thanks for having me. Happy New Year.
0: Katie is in a rather good mood, thanks to the outcome of the Patriots-Chargers game today. (laughs) Uh, If you even want to call it a game, I, I barely even follow football, but Twitter was uh, very active with chargers, death gifts, and uh, all kinds of other heinous things. So hopefully that uh, good spirit will carry into this conversation. Uh, this is actually long overdue. I don't know if you and I have ever done a show together, even back in my Clarion content days. I don't think so. It seems like it's, uh was bound to happen at some point, given that... Uh, Aaron, who is the editor-in-chief at Clarion Condent, has been working out of uh, Mercury Studio and, and now the mothership uh, for as long as I've known him. Uh, we did plenty of stuff out of uh, the makery and, and Mercury Studio as well for Runaway. So uh, glad this is finally happening. Um, there's plenty to talk about. We were just reminiscing about the first time that you and I met, back in what we think is 2013, 2014, maybe?
1: Something. I don't even... Yeah, it's hard to recall.
0: A lot has changed both uh, in our professional lives, but then also just in Durham in general, uh, particularly in downtown. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but first, I would love to take a trip down memory lane. A lot of people probably don't know that Katie is not a Durhamite as much as she reps Durham in her <laughs> daily life now. Uh, Katie is uh, a Northeasterner, a proud Northeasterner. Are you from Boston? Are you guys from Boston?
1: So I grew up in southern New Hampshire, about an hour north of Boston, and my parents are both from the greater Boston area. So
0: is New Hampshire one of those states that just claims the all the Boston teams?
1: Well, we don't have any of our own teams, sure. and they are called the New England Patriots. Fair so. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, but yeah, I. And now I feel like a lot um, of the people that I would go back and see are in Massachusetts now. Uh, are we allowed to say mass holes on the air?
0: <laughs> yes, yes. This, this podcast gets the little E for explicit okay. uh, when it gets uploaded. So you very much have all your freedoms of speech here. You grew up in New Hampshire. Uh, you are one of five siblings, if yep. you can count correctly. Um, and you are the m- middle child?
1: Yep, right in the middle.
0: Were you guys all, so Katie has five siblings, uh, depending on what you do here in Durham, you may have encountered some of the, uh, <laughs> other ones, um, throughout downtown Durham, uh, Stephen, Suzanne, Marco, and, uh, Jesse.
1: Yes. Wow. Good, good I know, job. right
0: off the cuff too. Um, but you guys didn't spend any time here as kids. You guys mo- all moved here as adults, correct?
1: Yeah, I don't even know if I ever went to North Carolina before my family started moving here, and that was in 2004, I think. Or no, 2003. Um, The summer after my... Or right before my senior year of high school, Jesse, my oldest brother, moved with his family to Carborough for a job. Um, He very nearly moved to Florida instead for a job, so think of how different the world would have been um, because after he moved to Carborough, our whole family just kind of piecemeal came and I was the last one um, when I graduated from college I guess that would be five years after that my whole family had relocated to Carborough.
0: where were you in school where did you go to school
1: uh, I did a one year in Florida because um, I that summer when Jesse moved to Carborough. my parents moved with my younger brother and sister Suzanne and Steven to Florida And so my freshman year, I went to Florida and did a year at Florida Gulf Coast University of sporadic basketball fame, maybe just one time. I think it's just the one time. I don't really follow it, but that was like the first time I ever heard anyone say FGCU that wasn't at FGCU (laughs) when I was there. So that was exciting. Anyway, so I was there for a year and then I transferred to a tiny liberal arts school in East Tennessee in Johnson City called Milligan. And then I actually spent a semester abroad too, so I kind of bounced around in college. Um, But in fun fact, in college is where I met Megan Bowser, who ended up, fast forward some years, being my business partner when we opened Mercury Studio.
0: Funny how the world works. What was it like, uh, having spent so much time now in North Carolina, in Durham, uh, what was life like in New Hampshire, um, especially compared to to being in the in the South?
1: Pretty different. I'll be honest and say that when I first moved to the South, I was—I don't know—they kind of breed you up there to feel like. It seems you're like you guys are pretty.
0: <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go that far, but just the even though you have been here for some time, um, the spirit of being a New Englander seems to still carry pretty strong in your family. Yeah,
1: it's strong. They're like, there aren't that many regions of the country where I encounter the same sort of, um, I don't know, ingrained region pride. Um, And all of it's pretty annoying. I mean, it's less annoying for New England for me because I'm part of it. But from the outside, you know, you meet people from Texas and you're like, okay, about Texas, calm down. Or like... California. I feel like Pacific Northwest people get that way sometimes. Mm, I have some friends in Durham yeah. from there and we'll go on a hike and they'll be like this is cool for the East Coast. I'm like, oh my goodness. Just get off it already. But um so yeah, it was interesting coming to the South because like I said before, um I don't think I'd spent really any time in the South. Um and I didn't I so all I knew was really stereotypes about what the South was like and I was in Florida, and then I was in East Tennessee, which was way more Southern than Durham. Um, and I actually worked at a barbecue restaurant called The Firehouse, where we had to dress up like firemen hmm. and serve sweet tea and barbecue. And I didn't even know what barbecue... When I was 19, I still thought barbecue was an event. I didn't know it was like a type that's of fair. food. I think that's fair. So had a lot of learning to do. Um But yeah, so it was cool, though. I I think I learned pretty quickly that the South is pretty charming um, and that there's a bigger difference between rural and urban communities.
0: In the South? No,
1: just just in in general. general. And so when you talk about, you know, country people or whatever that means, like that's a type of person that's not exclusive to the South by any stretch. Like New Hampshire (laughs) is the city I grew up in is smaller than Durham and is the biggest city in the state. Um, so there's a lot of rural communities there and then, yeah, so I think I realized there's a bigger difference I think between those two types of communities than any regional thing. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I learned about sweet tea and I learned about barbecue and I learned about some passive aggression <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to aggression, aggression, which is more of a Northern thing. Um, But ultimately, it's been really fun, I think, just getting, being a little bit of an alien. And and coming to Durham was cool because it's really a melting pot of all different, like, people from all over the place. Um, If you meet someone who's from here, I mean, I know a lot of people from here now that I've been here a while. You run into them occasionally. (laughs) Um, But there's people from all over, you know, international and all over the country. So... Um, it doesn't feel, I don't feel that much of an alien in Durham. If I drive mm-hmm. an hour in any direction, then I do. <laughs> um, but again, you could say that about anyone who's used to living more in a city.
0: Yeah. What did your parents do when you were growing up?
1: Real estate. Okay. Um, yeah, almost as far back as I can remember, my parents did real estate, um, were self-employed and did real estate. And those are two things that I, kind of swore i would never touch because it looked hard and then now i'm all up in all of it <laughs> yeah
0: it's uh, it seems like the last couple people that i've talked to have had a similar um sort of exchange with their parents as well of like they think they're going to do one thing they swear off one the other these other things and then sure enough as they get older it kind of comes full circle So did you guys um, travel around a lot while you were there for their work at all, I guess?
1: We moved a lot um, because in addition, my dad was an appraiser, um, but in addition to that, we did a lot of house flipping, so we would buy a house the needed work and we move into it and then my dad would make it beautiful and then we'd have to leave. (laughs) That's kind of what happened. And he did, he did some of that I think in houses that we didn't move into also. So he was doing the real estate appraisal and then also doing a lot of flipping of houses in Southern New Hampshire.
0: Yeah. Um, I just imagine that if, um, you know, the population size is small, then the market kind of, you know, dries up pretty quickly if you work in real estate. Um, Maybe that's not the case. It's certainly not my area of expertise, but...
1: Yeah, the real estate market in New England is generally just pretty strong because it's Mm -hmm. a popular area. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an old area. (laughs) So there's lots around there. But yeah, we moved a lot. Not far, but to different city to city. And it it made for an interesting childhood because... um, And also being in a big family education-wise because every year it was a decision for each child like what was best for them and so I went to public school and private school and I went to a boarding school for a little while and I homeschooled some and so it was and that had some to do with you know there were so many kids we didn't really have the money for everyone to go to private school all through every you know every grade um, but we are also moving a lot and so that made for a really interesting childhood and whenever I bring that up my mom gets all mom guilty about it but I don't regret it really I think it taught me a lot about how to meet people and how to quickly figure out what was important to people so that I could kind of fit in
0: yeah and it sounds like that type of experience would also help given where you are now in Durham where you are interacting with different types of people all the time so having those experiences um in your educational background it it certainly helped you know in your professional life um was real estate, uh, because it was the family business, was there ever an assumption that you guys would all fill in after your parents?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, my one of my brothers did become an appraiser and worked with my dad for a while. Um, but I think it was understood even at that point that he just did it because um, it was a really flexible way to make money and mm-hmm. he liked to travel. <laughs> Um, and as far as the rest of us, my parents never, I don't remember them ever making any assumptions that we would do anything in real estate. Um, they were always pretty open to whatever we wanted to do, which was nice. Um, but they did teach us a lot about real estate, not really on purpose, but just because we saw them doing it. And so that we all bought really young, um, in our early twenties and Stephen was only 19 when he bought his house. Uh, which is something that most 19-year-olds would be really afraid of doing, um, and for good reason, maybe. Yeah. But he wasn't because we had all done it, and we watched our parents do it, and we knew that it wasn't rocket science, you know, um, especially in a strong market. So, yeah, I don't know. It's funny reflecting on all of this. I was in thinking that a lot of stuff makes sense when you reflect <laughs> on the way that things Hopefully. were when we grew up. Uh, it makes sense how we kind of turned out
0: (laughs) yeah my dad was a dj and did school dances and proms and reunions and stuff like that when i was younger and so pretty much every weekend (laughs) i would see him we'd be traveling somewhere and he'd be on a microphone for three hours a night and even as i got older and he started doing that less and started working at whole foods here in durham I would go see him at work and same thing. He was, you know, having to communicate with people all the time, every day. And so naturally, like as I started to move into communications roles, I was like, yeah, this totally makes sense. And someone would say something about, oh, you have a good voice for radio or you have a good voice for such and such. And I'm like, yeah, well, (laughs) I know where I got it from. So,
1: yeah, it's interesting. I think it's I think you don't fear what you see especially if you're so close to it, you know? And so I think a lot of kids probably growing up would be really afraid of a microphone. You know, what is it? Public speaking is like the most people want to be at a funeral in the casket rather than delivering the eulogy sort of thing. Um, but it's interesting for you having watched your dad do all of that, communicating with people. Um, you weren't afraid Well, public speaking is a different beast,
0: (laughs) Uh, you know, speaking in front of more than five people's maybe a different story, but, um, but you're right. It is things that seem coincidental, uh, maybe from the outside, you start to do a little digging and you realize, oh, of course that they were able to, or they were subconsciously pushed in, in this direction. Um, so You end up in Durham after college, Mm -hmm. correct? Um, Did you move straight after school, or were you still in Carborough with your brother?
1: I moved to Carborough. It's a long story, but basically my whole family lived on one property when I graduated from college, and we called it the commune. It wasn't really a commune. I mean, I don't know. What what makes a commune? Who knows? But um, so I... When I graduated, I wanted to go back up to New Hampshire because that's where my friends were. Sure. But my mom talked me out of it. She said, "You know, it's expensive and cold up there. <laughs> Your family's here." And I was playing music at the time with my family already. We had a band, and I was coming here for shows sometimes. To Durham. To well, at that, that time to Carborough. Oh sure. Um, and then so I decided ultimately to come to Carborough to go to Carborough. And move on to the commune with everybody. And I was there for about a year and a half.
0: And at this point, your parents and all five siblings are living there?
1: That is a great question. I think so. It was like a house with an in-law. And there was like a, another building with two studios. It wasn't like we were all living in one house. Sure. There were like four different living areas on this property. But I think everybody was there. Suzanne was always going to Costa Rica for like large chunks of time. So I don't really remember when she was there and when she left. And actually then Steven did that too. So who knows? Everyone was in and out. And there were other people that lived there too. It wasn't just at Is the
0: rest of your family as big? Like, do you have uh, sets of cousins that are four or five siblings deep?
1: Um, No. My mom's side, we have, I think there are 11 cousins, but five of them are us. <laughs> okay. So Um, my mom also, there were, both my parents come from families of six, so six children. Um, and so they came from big families, but we are the biggest from this generation for sure. Um, which was always interesting. You just change the dynamic. When you walk into any place as a group, you just change everything because there's so many of you. So it's a weird way to grow up, but it was fun. I enjoyed it.
0: (laughs) So, but you didn't have other family members living with you guys there? No. Outside of your immediate family?
1: Um, well, not family members. No, we had other friends, like people, whoever people knew who like needed a place to live or were kind of being, um, transient would kind of come and stay for a while. Um, sounds
0: kind of like Mercury studio.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty fun. Um, and we had, like a rehearsal space there too so we have band practices and it was cool um and then I actually got a job in publishing um not too long after I graduate graduated and that was in Durham for a production company um and after I had that job for a while not quite a year my parents said had had been um they were getting more um into the real estate market in the area and learning more about it and starting to sell houses and be my dad got his broker's license and stuff like that. So, um once I had my job for a while, I they encouraged me to buy a house in Durham. They're like, you know, there's lots of great programs in Durham and um there's a lot of really cheap houses. Um, and there wasn't at the time I mean and now and probably forever um, Chapel Hill and Carborough were not particularly affordable right <laughs> places to buy houses so when was this uh 2008 is when I okay. graduated
0: so it's that like, was the year that you got the house here in Durham
1: well I guess it would have been the next year 2009 okay. is when I um, started looking for a house and so the fall of 2009 I bought a house it was September um, in Lion Park. Okay. In Durham. So and you were
0: commuting from Carborough to, to this publishing job. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It wasn't it was like on the Carborough side of Durham, so it wasn't too far of a commute. But even though I lo- I worked in Durham, I still knew very little about Durham except for where to go to, for lunch. That was like all I knew. Where did
0: you go in
1: 2009? Yeah. Uh, we really liked uh, Saladalia and Thai Cafe. We would go to Olivia's sometimes. Um, there wasn't a lot like there was nothing downtown, downtown. There was stuff in Brightleaf. Right. But, um, but there wasn't a lot really anywhere, um, in the more like city center. Um, maybe
0: the subway and the courthouse. Yeah. I'm know. trying Who to knows? think <laughs> if there's anything
1: down there. I not Nothing comes to mind. Um, but we would go to Brightleaf sometimes. Um, and then Rockwood, that area. um, yeah, I did not know about Durham. All I knew was the houses were cheap, and my dad was telling me it was a good idea. So I was 23, I guess, um, and I bought a house in Durham, and I moved into it. And so when people say, what brought you to Durham? I'm like, well, I had to move into my house that I bought, <laughs> so I moved to Durham. Um, but that was kind of the beginning. Like, I think Full Steam opened like, months or weeks or days. I don't remember. It was, seemed really close to after I moved here.
0: I didn't realize they were that old.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I need to, something I've been thinking about is doing like a timeline.
1: Yeah, the for different all, businesses.
0: Yeah, and just businesses and moments. It's hard to remember now, talking about reflecting on things. It hasn't been that long for some of this stuff. But because I've been in it every single day for the yeah. last eight years, it seems like it's been forever. Well,
1: and it's your whole adult life. I mean, that's kind yeah. of... I think about a decade in Durham, which I'm, you know, I'm in my 10th year. Uh, I'll be 10 years this fall. And for some people, 10 years is not a long time, but I'm 32. It's a really long time um, to be anywhere. It's like my whole... I develop. I grew up here, essentially. Like, I didn't grow up here the way you talk about growing up, as a kid, but I grew up as an adult in Durham. Um and Durham grew up kind of while I was here, which was also a weird thing. And um so I
0: knew you had some something to do with that to some degree.
1: Yeah, I mean I hope so. It it's just it's been like a crazy wild ride, um, when you really think back on what's happened in the last ten years here and the relationships and the other businesses and the other organizations that started around that time or before a little before a little after and it felt like a like we were all starting grad school or something you know together and we were going through a lot of the same stuff i mean we weren't totally in the same program you know but so it was a little bit different but it felt like we were all kind of going through this thing and some people you know had different levels we all had different levels of success and different different definitions of success but we tried to be supportive of one another um and I think that's one of my I mean this is jumping to present day but that's something that I feel a little bit sad about um now because I think there's just not the opportunity that there was then we talk about this a lot at the mothership that we couldn't do what we did then now which is kind of sad because um, if I had been, you know, 10 years younger and I had gotten here 10 years later, then the mothership wouldn't exist. Um, which is kind of a bummer, but also motivating, you know, for those of us who are still in it, trying to keep Durham, whatever catchphrase you want to use. <laughs> Strange. I like to say accessible, but that's accessible. not, it doesn't roll up I haven't the seen that on a t shirt yet, so I don't think that's the one. <laughs> keep Durham accessible. It's not so sexy but um it is yeah i mean it's definitely motivating to think like i got we got this opportunity that other people aren't getting now so how can we kind of pay it forward
0: yeah well i definitely want to get nostalgic because it is a pretty interesting timeline uh, from when you started your adventures and from when i started with gabe at runaway so i definitely want to talk about that we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back Welcome back to my conversation with Katie DeCanto. Katie uh, has been in Durham for almost 10 years. And uh, before we cut to break, we started to talk a little bit about sort of how we got involved in downtown Durham. Uh, for people that don't know, Katie um, has had uh, the backside of Motorco on lockdown for the last <laughs> half a decade uh, between... Uh, What used to be the combination Mercury Studio co-working space um, and the Makery, which was an artisan uh, retail space uh, that kind of worked in tandem to some degrees, even though they were separate entities and more recently have unified and become the mothership, uh, which I still think is a really great, great branding on you guys' part. Um, When did you guys open Mercury Studio? Is it 2013?
1: 2012. 12, okay. It was May 22nd of 2012. It was pretty much just Megan and me and the fish.
0: (laughs) And you said, so Full Steam was maybe two years before that?
1: I think. I mean, I'd have to look it up, but I just, uh, without looking it up, my memory is that Full Steam opened. It was like the cool new thing at the time everyone was talking about it. And it was funny because I remember to get there, you would like drive into downtown, which was a ghost town and then you would take a left on Rigsby and then you would drive and then I would always be like, did I miss it? I'm just going forever and there's nothing there are no lights there's no anything happening because at this time you know there's no Liberty warehouse apartments there's no surf club there's no was it...
0: motorco open at this point no
1: motorco I'm pretty sure open after full steam
0: so and you guys so... were in that building then before motorco was.
1: No, so I'm talking about when I moved oh, right. to Durham. So okay. that was 2009. Yeah. So 2000, we moved to that building January of 2014. Although we had done the um, winter, um, November, December, leading up to that in 2013, we had a pop-up shop um, in that space before we moved the whole co-working space. But yeah, so Motorco was there then. So they opened sometime between 2009 and 2012. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't remember. That's why we need your timeline so that we can. Re- I know. Refer we we to might it. get
0: quite, uh, quite a lot covered in this, in the conversation that follows. But um, so Motorco was in its early stages, full steam, again in its early stages. No surf club, certainly no Liberty Warehouse. Gear Street Garden and Cocoa Cinnamon, I think, also came after that?
1: Um, They were there. They opened for sure after um, I moved to Durham, but they were there, I think, when we moved behind Motorco. I do remember meeting Leon and Arelli of Cocoa Cinnamon fame um, because we were crowdfunding at the same time. So they ran like a really wild and amazing crowdfunding campaign uh, the same time that we were crowdfunding for mercury studio and it did take them a, a while a, a while longer to open we opened in may of 2012 and i don't remember when they opened but it was a considerable time after that because obviously building a coffee shop is a little bit trickier than just throwing some desks in a room for co-working um but, yeah, there was a lot of, like, f- exciting energy at that time. I feel like Daisy Cakes was opening. I don't know. There's, like, a lot of fun stuff going on and places opening. But so that time period when we opened and we were on North Mangum because um, we opened there and then moved behind Motorco was, like, you know, six months plus and minus. A lot of stuff opened, um, which is why it was a really fun time to be a part of that. I think after that sometime is when the parlor crowdfunded for their brick and mortar. Um, a lot of people in those years were crowdfunding for brick and mortars who had been really cool, you know, food trucks or, you know, Coco Cinnamon had bite coffee. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, to your point, there was a lot more, maybe not necessarily more opportunity, but the canvas was blank. And so people were more willing maybe to do sort of abstract um, like business opportunities and be more flexible on how spaces were being used. So you had all these random pop-up shops and um, you know DIY destinations. Um, you know, even before we opened the runaway store, this was that would have been 2016, we had done pop-ups in you guys' space. We had done them in nomadic trading company space, which is now either the axe throwing bar or boxcar. I forget which side they I were on. I think
1: it's the axe place, but yeah, crazy. Um, I remember it. I went to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and 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 again, that was 2014. It was only four years ago, five years ago. Um, so, you know, there there were these, you know, because everyone was still trying to get people to come downtown. Uh, to really experience this part of Durham, it made sense for people to collaborate, whether you had space or not, just to get that kind of traffic funneled in your direction. And um, you know, now there's, I think Adam Klein. last time I talked to him said ninety people a day moving to this area.
1: Crazy. Last I heard was sixty. So yeah. That's crazy.
0: Um, so the so it certainly has changed, and the literal landscape of downtown has also changed, you know, to your point, Liberty Warehouse apartments are in that space. Now, um, they're building right across the street. Some more, I assume apartments, um, the whole North street community behind full steam is up and running. Uh, the pizza place Hutchins is, you know, all that stuff is just starting to, to creep up. But you guys were in there really before, Almost any of that, and so what? What was it about that space that you guys really felt confident, um, you know, taking on? you know arts and and crafts um, retail space at a time where Durham was only maybe just becoming sort of what we think of it today?
1: So we did the pop up shop I mentioned earlier, and one. When- fun part about that is it was actually connected to something called the Durham Storefront Project which doesn't exist anymore um, partially because there's not a need for it anymore. Um, There used to be more empty storefronts downtown than there were full ones, I think. I don't know the exact stats on that, but I would feel confident saying that was true. So um, this uh, organization or little really just group of women who were cool, (laughs) decided to start connecting local artists with local building owners who had empty buildings downtown um, and doing installation projects. So you could walk around downtown instead of seeing empty storefronts, you would see cool art installations. Um, And so we participated in that in our first space in Mangum, even though it was an empty storefront, we like donated our storefront to an artist to do a couple times maybe two or three times different artists which is really fun um and so that year we kind of had we're negotiating a lease on that space behind motorco and it had the only finished room in the whole place was the storefront which i think had been used by back alley bikes some bike, one of the bike shops i think was down there for a oh, minute oh interesting i don't remember It was maybe before my time, or maybe I just didn't ever see it. But anyway, something had gone on that had caused that room to be like painted, and there were lights. It was like usable. There was no heat or anything, um, which was not ideal in November and December. But um, we had this idea to do, as part of the Durham Storefront Project, do a retail experiment and just open a store for November and December. We called it a holiday pop-up shop um, DIY district holiday pop-up shop. Cause that's what that area was called at the time. I don't think people use that still, but, um, so we did it as kind of an experiment to see how it might go if we did it for real. And, um, we were really blown away with the traffic and like the response from the community. And people were so psyched to have a store where they could walk in and know that all the stuff in there was North Carolina, uh, vendors, um, Buying local was continuing to become more popular. And so it was a great resource for people. If, you know, they need a gift for someone and they want to get some cool local thing, They everything in that place was cool and local, continues to be. Um, and Runaway, I think, was one of our... We had like eight vendors and Runaway was one of them. And I think that's kind of how... Um, I know that's how I got to know Gabe more. And you two probably... You were with Runaway at that point. That
0: seems like a safe assumption yeah yeah
1: um so yeah we did it and we didn't know like we had never run a store before
0: and this Um, is you and megan or you megan and krista
1: so at that time megan was kind of on maternity leave um and so krista ann and i and the makery was the it was a flash sales site for north carolina artisans um and I asked her if she was would be interested in opening a brick and mortar using the Makery brand, which at that point was maybe a year and a half old or something, a little over a year old. And they had a pretty significant following. Um, mm, was
0: she a part of that project already?
1: Yeah, it was her and her sisters. They actually won the Smallfus. I don't know yeah, if you remember, remember that. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so she and her sisters Developed this idea for a website and they got the office. So they worked out of the front of BU for six months.
0: And it, Yeah, it was BU at that point. It was like an elevated yeah. sort of mm-hmm. stage space. That they turned one.
1: into a little office. Yeah. Um, and actually Adam Klein was part of that. And that was when he worked for the chamber. The chamber, yeah. So they did the small office. But then when the small office ran out, um Chris and came and worked out of Mercury Studio at our first location, so she and I kind of got to know each other. So then when we were looking at going moving, because we had to move, our building was sold, and our new landlords weren't going to renew our lease, um, I said, hey, we're moving to this place, and there's a storefront that we don't really know what to do with, because the space is much bigger already than our space, our first space, so... I said you want to open a store, and she said sure. But neither of us had opened. like I didn't even really worked in retail that much, let alone run anything. So we did the pop up shop, and that went really well. And so we're like, okay. So we shut down for January, and then February we opened. I think it was Christine and I actually have the very the same birthday, not the same year, but the same day. And uh, it was that weekend of February that we. Open launched the the makery, the permanent store, which now is it's called the mothership. But yeah, it was uh, the space was pretty rough, the rest of it. Um, so I had to manage a big renovation project kind of by myself because the landlord lives in New York for
0: both spaces for Mercury Studio and for the makery. Yeah, yeah.
1: well, yeah, I mean, Krista helped, she and I did that one together. We had to get shelves built and stuff. Um, we did a little kickstarter to raise some money to build out a store a permanent store um was
0: she your connection to artists in the community
1: absolutely yeah at that point we really only knew we knew we knew like more visual artists uh because we had a gallery in our first space and we participated in third friday so we had a lot of shows a lot of openings um which is kind of how we got connected with uh the carrick in the early days and we became when I was talking earlier about, you know, all of us in our like fake grad school together, that Laura Ritchie is like, you know, on the top of that list um, as a person who I feel like we kind of grew up together trying to make something in this downtown.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I miss having the Carrick downtown. It's it's not even that. I mean, Golden Belt's not that far, but it's just far enough. It's the, Durham still hasn't quite figured out that second stretch mm-hmm. near the new police station and everything that would connect golden belt so it's i know laura hates hearing this but that's <laughs> i feel like that's the realities that are just quite not close enough for really people to consider
1: yeah well i mean there. there are benefits to that though sure. i mean parking for one and i'm sure
0: and reaching a different community
1: yeah and but i will say there's something really powerful about having a space downtown. I am um, sure, you know about this, you know, from having the Runaway Shop, but being able to kind of plant your flag in the downtown of an urban-ish area, um, it feels to me like you can tell what a city values by what is downtown, you know. And so you go to some cities, and it's lots of subway and Starbucks, right? And so then, you know, you get an idea of what the city likes. <laughs>
0: yeah that's a good point
1: um so it is a little bit sad when when local businesses get pushed out of downtown because then the you're kind of the face that you're putting on for people coming into the city changes into something that may not reflect the actual residents which is a bummer so that is a reason why i would say it's a bummer that the carrick's not on parish street also had so much fun in that space (laughs) over the years lots of great memories um I mean, I'm happy for them to obviously have found some place more sustainable, but I would love to see, you know, local creative operations having giant signs all over downtown, you know? Like, uh, I want that to be the face of the city more than whatever that poke place is, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Tommy and I always joke about now when you come down... Uh, Foster coming into CCB Plaza from where you guys are and you've got one city center there and the big WeWork sign it's kind of deflating you know a little bit and granted you know for full disclosure I took a job at American Underground last week so <laughs> obviously I have my um you know they are feelings a, yeah exactly <laughs> uh and I I did even before this having been in American Underground for some time but um but no you're right that that the businesses that are in uh are in your city do reflect what your value system is and it was cool in you know 2011 through 2015 not only were a lot of these businesses going from food trucks or coffee carts or pop-up shops into full-fledged spaces but there was this coalition that really felt like it was um forming with all the different business owners you know I, i know for our events anytime we did a pop-up or an event or something like that all the people that were showing up were you guys laura leon and Aurelli, um you know all the folks from motorco and and um and so it it started to feel like um, we were kind of building you know what i don't know the how to do the rising is it rising tide will raise all ships, all ships. thank yeah. you okay i could have gotten good there. job um i was a and journalism major i should know these kind of <laughs> literary things um but then it did really feel like we weren't being sh- stretched too thin as um as a coalition of business owners and we're really able to not only grind ourselves but it didn't feel like we were doing it alone and that was really Cool, and I, I'm sure you feel the same way. You know, met a lot of really awesome people because of that. So, I, I do worry as we're coming into 2019, um, in 2020, the turn of the decade, that to your earlier point, there, there just can't be that anymore because that same kind of space is less available.
1: People but, are harder to impress too. I feel like yeah, at that time, the time that you're talking about. It was very collaborative and everyone was just excited about stuff happening because we all lived here and we lived here when there wasn't anything downtown and so then any new thing that was happening everyone was psyched about it and even as you know I was I remember 24 or 25 um, when we were starting to talk about Mercury Studio I didn't know I mean I was a humanities major I didn't know anything about business Um, which is funny cuz I now have been like our bookkeeper and tax accountant for the last 7 years so figure that well, one and out Well the real
0: estate experience, <laughs> experience must have helped. I guess some.
1: again I think a lot of it is just not being I wasn't afraid of it. I was like I saw my parents be self-employed and I love my parents dearly and they're smart people but they're not rocket scientists, you know, and I I saw them do it and I it's like I think I could do that and so um but anyway I didn't know what I was doing, but, and I thought, um, anytime I would go, I set up a lot of meetings. That was like phase one was set up meetings with everyone downtown who may even care a little bit about what you're doing. Um, which is what I'd like to see more of these days, by the way, there's a little plug. Um, but every meeting I went into, I thought they're just going to like laugh at me and like laugh so much that they can't even say words and I'm going to have to just leave because they can't even Communicate because they're laughing so hard, but it wasn't ever like that. Everyone was like, wow, that's a really cool idea like
0: When you find out that more and more people are In a similar situation to you. I think that it's really easy. I feel this a lot in the startup space where there's a certain air you have to carry to come off like you've got it figured out And no one ever really stops to let their guard down because Mm -hmm. if they do then it to your point it comes off like oh that person has no idea what they're doing you know let's laugh them out of business or like (laughs) you know it 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 becomes more of a um you know vanity game than it is like actual yeah actual like building products and building businesses and doing good things in, in the community. So, um, yeah, I, am I never, I'm glad that that seemed to not take over early on.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, and that's what I was going to say nowadays. I feel like people are, because there's so much more happening here and there are just so many more people in general. And a lot of them are coming from much bigger markets. And so it's just, people are not as excited. They're like, oh, this person is doing this thing, like big deal, you know, like, which is a bummer because it's not exactly encouraging to people to be bold if there's not a really warm, you know, reception of whatever their idea is.
0: Well, that's how your community becomes corporate and homogenous is when you don't support bold ideas and they don't even have to be groundbreaking necessarily, but just supporting Individuals, entrepreneurs, especially ones in your local community that are not only trying to make a name for themselves, but really, again, uphold the values that you care about as a city. So I don't know where that comes from now, because it does feel like the community is a little bit more disjointed. And the ownership downtown is not quite the same. And so being able to go into some of the hotels or, you know, a place like One City Center. You know, their corporate offices are in Austin and New York and Denver or wherever. And and so to be able to just catch them, you know, at lunch one day at Nine Street Bakery is far less likely. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Ari was uh, and has been another person downtown that's been really awesome to work with. And is one of those people where you can kind of just go knock on his door and say, hey, Ari, we want to like do this DJ thing out on your patio. And he's like, sounds great. Like, tell me when. (laughs) Um, But I imagine that like, um, you know, if there was a Starbucks or something downtown, he's just like, you can't. That same kind of. Call the owner of Starbucks? Yeah, (laughs) already Although, I mean, I think he sounds like kind of a decent guy from what I've read. But still, not accessible. And so what does that do? over the next five years for Durham and what it looks like. And I'm sure you guys are thinking about this. We've had conversations about space and not only space, but like where's our community going, right? Like if, um, you know, the Carrick has moved, run away as of, I think, today, you know, has we are, they are closing their doors. Um, So you start to see it, disintegrate a little bit and it's like okay so all the people that were part of that community six years ago like where are they going now Um, and I'm just not sure I have an answer the worst case scenario is that there isn't an answer and we're kind of back to square one but I would like to think that there's an answer out there
1: yeah that is a question that we think about and talk about a lot Um, how do you stop that from happening like everyone just dispersing and being like well we had a good run you know I'm tired of this I want health insurance you know like or um yeah with the development stuff it almost feels like we were all there together like the city and all these you know young creative people were like trying really hard to start a fire and then it started and everyone's like well it's so cool look at the fire and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger and we're like oh no shit what do we do who's who's supposed to control this Yeah, <laughs> and it just has gotten yeah it's like not in anyone's control anymore which is weird because you know so many years ago you couldn't it took a lot of effort to get anything moving and now things are just moving um, by the force of people you know big money mm-hmm. um, which and like those aren't bad people like I think I have a different definitely a different perspective on real estate than a lot of people do and i think a lot of people want to blame developers um which i think is fair sometimes um i think developers can be pretty out of touch with what they're tearing down and building <laughs> in terms of how it fits in to a space but there's also people just doing their jobs like if people tear down buildings and then build them for a living like they're gonna just do the job the best that they know how to do And if we don't like it, it's not really their fault for just coming in and doing what they do. Um, But the question becomes, like, whose fault is it or whose responsibility is it to control the fire once it's been built, you know? Um, And that, I think, is a great question. And that's when I get a little bit interested in city politics because it's like, I know the city can't do everything. They are not made of money and they can't just, you know boss everyone around all the time Um, but it seems like maybe there's some creative problem solving to be done in that area and that is interesting to me more interesting than like whining on facebook about the new poke place
0: yeah (laughs) i that is something that has i've seen more and more and and you know to be fair thankfully runaway had a lot of great opportunities and we were able to open a store and be downtown for two years and, um, really participate in a lot of cool and interesting things because of that. Um, so I I definitely want to sort of frame anything I'm saying with that, um, you know, lens of privilege, but I just don't, I don't know if that the developers now, or like the, the spaces that are available now, um, how can you make sure that the, cause I think it's a more of a pipeline issue. It's like, not that there aren't businesses, there aren't a lot of really cool and interesting business owners and businesses available to fill these spaces, but the leap between, you know, coffee cart to, uh, to full coffee shop in, in downtown Durham. Three coffee is, shops. Uh, yeah. Three <laughs> coffee shops. Um, you know, taking that leap in 2010 was a lot less risky than it is in 2019. And so the breadth of opportunity for folks in Durham, I think is just, um, there are more obstacles to climb. And it seems like that could inevitably price people out of um, recreating that same energy so I to your point I think it is a city policy thing and um Aaron and I certainly have um floated your name for many different <laughs> political positions um so I mean is that something that you're seriously considering
1: um I don't know I think eventually maybe I think it could be really you're interesting. gonna make your
0: announcement on this show <laughs> I will right. happily have you back on <laughs> I'll
1: let you know Um, well, yeah, I think it's, it definitely interests me a lot. Um, I think an obstacle that I have is that I'm not, I want, I would like to be a little closer to it before I considered, um, getting more involved in the leadership way. Um, like getting involved on, you know, how people get involved starting, you know, going to meetings and stuff. I think after so many years of being, um, a young like small business owner with really poor boundaries. (laughs) I'm kind of taking this time to kind of heal and step back and kind of make, I had too little space in my life for too long. So now I'm trying to make too much space for a little while and see what happens out of that. But I think once I feel, start to feel more excited and curious again about um, problems that I see and starting to um, I like problem solving and I'm very goal oriented and I like working on a team and so I think all of those things would do well in city government. Um I think it would be fun in some ways. I'm also very sensitive, which I think <laughs> would be hard. That's definitely I don't been... think that disqualifies
0: you from city government. Yeah,
1: I know, but I think even just being a small business owner has been hard as a sensitive person because there are always people who want you to be doing what you're doing differently um, and will tell you all the reasons why you're messing it up. And I've gotten a lot better over the years of dealing with that sort of criticism and being able to weigh it and... and...
0: Not whining on Facebook.
1: Right. Yeah. Not like calling people out on Facebook, um, which never helped anyone, I don't think, but... So yeah, I don't know. I I I would have to have. I would have to be really healthy, I think, and well, in a way, and have like a really good support system around me, which I think I do, have that. Um, but I think I would have to be like kind of bolstered up in a way. It would to be a different help challenge. Help me, but yeah, I I'm interested in it. Um, I like Steve Schul a lot. Um, and so I actually. <laughs> I've had I've had conversations with people in our, you know, weird grad school graduating class about what city council will look like in ten years and, you know, who will be on it. Like looking around different rooms, like who will be on it? Who was at, you know, nomadic trading company right. <laughs> so many years ago at the runaway pop up. Um I would love to see more of the people from that space be involved in city government because they're so impacted by it. Like I had conversations over the years with people from the city who would say, we really like what you're doing. Like, let us know how we can help. And I never knew the answer to that. And so I think that's something I'd be really interested in exploring from the other side. Like what resources does the city have? And having been a small business owner, specifically a small business owner, um, running a business that's very community oriented, um, and which is different than selling a product or, you know, consulting or whatever. Um, but I think a city, I mean, a a business that people from the city will say like, we want you here. We think that you add a lot of value to downtown, um, those sorts of businesses, what can the city do to be supportive? And I've, been on this side for a long time. And I still don't really know the answer. And I think part of that is I don't know a lot about what the city's resources are. And I don't know a lot about different models. You know, it'd be really cool to do that sort of research and like what other cities have done to help small businesses be successful. Um, So yeah, I don't know, maybe one day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're not wrong about the disconnect and information between new business owners and opportunities within city government to connect them to resources. It always seems like that's a challenge, especially in a growing city like Durham, where it's one of many challenges. And, um, you know, I don't want, it's not necessarily higher or lower, um, but just one of many. And so um, it would be great to have other entities or things like the mothership and like American Underground that can connect Folks, to those resources and sort of be a, a middleman to continue to push the commerce forward and particularly like homegrown stuff. Because, yeah, I would just, I, I think that like using Coco Cinema as, a, as an example for them to go from the coffee cart to three locations in five years. Yeah, um, you know, I think like there's something replicable there. Just figuring out, you know, how to create that pipeline. So
1: I think that they did actually get a grant from the city. Um, I think they did. Um, they the city used to. I don't know if they do anymore, but they did offer a grant, like a matching grant for upfitting spaces. Um, I think we applied for it one time. We didn't get it, but um, so that's cool. But yeah, other than that. I don't know. Yeah, I would, it would be interesting to sit down with Leon and Norelli and talk to them about what the things were that helped them be successful. Um, I mean, them as people. I think a lot of people just buy into them as people, uh, which is another interesting part, which I'm sure you have thoughts about, being a small business owner when the business seems to hinge a little bit on Your people. visibility. Yeah, yeah, which can be hard, especially, you know, like I was saying, if you don't have great boundaries and then... Um, You end up giving a lot of yourself to the community you know for the sake of this thing that you're trying to build um and it's hard to know then where you start and where the business ends and um that can be hard for young people so yeah i don't know i I,
0: there needs to be a support group for that specific thing
1: (laughs) yeah exactly and kind of what you were talking about before um where you feel this pressure to always act like everything's Going great because otherwise, people will not respect your business if you are honest about whatever challenges you're facing, which everyone's always facing some challenges. Like, I've never talked to anyone who was like, Yeah, everything's awesome and exactly how I want it, and it's been this way, and it's gonna stay this way. Like, maybe for like three hours one time, someone felt like that, but in general, it's just not that way. And so, when I think about future work. The city would be cool but I also would love to work for the chamber or DDI or even if I you know could figure out a way to work some of this work into my work at the mothership helping people coming up behind us you know and offering support and guidance around not how, how not to like kind of lose yourself in that um and how to protect yourself and protect your business and um we were all so young <laughs> when it happened, and there was not a lot of guidance. Um, I I didn't find that, especially as a woman, especially running a business that wasn't really focused on making money. Um, we weren't really totally. We didn't belong in the business, you know, community totally, and we didn't really belong in the nonprofit community totally. So. But I think there are a lot of, increasingly, there are more operations that fit into that middle category where they're for profit business, but they're, you know, scaling and getting acquired isn't their goal and they're not working on an exit strategy because it's their passion. Um, So I'd love to find a way to be, use what I've learned to support people doing that.
0: Yeah, I I think that would be, um, I know you guys are already doing some of that with the programming that you have built into the mothership, but it seems like that there's real value there and will continue to be um, for the next generation. So we all just need to stay off social media. I think that's probably the thing we're all learning and finding a hard, uh, finding it a hard time to kick, but um, but yeah. And and specifically don't tether your um, personal life to the, success of your social profiles um just not not healthy all around so 2019 new resolution uh try and and curb that behavior because i think we'd all be better off for it specifically um solo entrepreneurs so uh I mean, we could go on forever and ever. I feel like there's eight more things that I want to talk about, but we already have hit the uh, the hour mark, so I'm going to let you and let everyone else go as well. Katie, thank you very much for being on the show.
1: Sure, thanks for having me.
0: Again, it's, that's a shame that it has taken this long, but we should absolutely uh, do it again and revisit some of these topics and talk about some, uh, some more things as well. Uh, Thank you everyone for listening. This has been episode six of the Buddy Ruski show. Um, If you haven't already, make sure to go on buddyruski.com and sign up for the newsletter. It makes it really easy for you to get this podcast uh, every week in your inbox so you don't miss it. Uh, We are also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google and all that stuff now, which is great. Um, I also want to say happy birthday to my father. Uh, His birthday is on Tuesday, which is when you will most likely hear this show. So, Daddy, if you're listening, happy birthday uh, from me and all the listeners as well. We'll see you guys next week.